This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free Podcast Series. I'm your host, Steve Dale. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Alicia McLaughlin, a managing veterinarian at the Center for Bird and Exotic Animal Medicine near Seattle and a relief veterinarian at the Seattle Aquarium, and Barbara Heidenreich, who's been a featured speaker on animal training in 27, she's counted, countries. She provides consulting services to zoos, nature centers, and other animal facilities. I'll start with you, Dr. McLaughlin. Being fear-free, when fear-free all began, some of us, and I was there at the start, and I'm one of them, who said we have to pay attention to pet birds, particularly citizens. And I said that for a reason. It's because I felt that, oh my gosh, here are creatures that definitely have emotions. And for the most part, going to a veterinary clinic is no fun. In fact, that probably is an understatement. Would you agree that the need for citizens in particular, but I'd say all birds, is great as far as fear-free? Absolutely. I mean, what, when you think about it, uh, you know, a lot of these birds do not leave their homes unless they're going to the vet clinic. And we often will see birds that have not ever been to the vet clinic and they're 40 years old. And so it's a very scary first time experience. Uh, they haven't had the benefit of, say, a dog that knows that sometimes going places is fun. Um, so it's often very scary for them to be um, moved and transported from one place to another. By the time they get to the veterinary clinic, a lot of times they're far over threshold and it's really tough to get them back into the mindset of, um, you know, being open to learning new things and um, having a, a positive experience. So it's definitely a, a really huge challenge for these species that can live decades and uh, are extremely smart and are very social and form very strong bonds with their owners. And um, that can actually create problems with the human animal bond even whenever you have these veterinary visits happening because the it can really impact the trust if there's not a, a background of training and um, the owners are just kind of grabbing the bird and putting it in the, the carrier to bring it to the vet hospital. So there's some really big implications for, for quality of life for these pets. And I want to talk more about what you brought up. I mean, some of these issues are really, really important. And, you know, it's, it's common that we use the terms desensitization and counterconditioning, Barbara, and offering food and toys and all those sorts of things. When we talk about visiting with dogs and cats, at fear-free veterinary practices or with fear-free veterinary professionals. How important is that for birds? And what's the difference, do you suggest, between the way we do this for birds compared to dogs and cats? Well, I think people think that maybe it's not possible to make a visit fear-free for birds, but there really are strategies that you can implement. Some of the easiest things is to begin with some simple training at home. We often talk about training some really basic behaviors like target training, teaching your bird to get on a scale, maybe teaching them to be comfortable with transport in a container, maybe comfortable with being restrained in a towel, um, stepping up on a scale so that you can get some preliminary data on your bird. So those are some good starting points. And then when it comes time 
time to visit the veterinarian, there are strategies that the veterinarian can implement, implement, such as maybe pairing some preferred food items, maybe some tactile interactions if the bird's receptive to touch, and also giving the bird distance sometimes if that's what they prefer are ways to make the animal feel a little bit more comfortable and, of course, giving the animal some time to habituate to the environment. Those are all simple strategies that can be implemented in the veterinary practice and before the patient comes to the practice in order to make it more of a fear-free experience. Dr. McLaughlin, you talked about the human-animal bond and the bond in particular pet parents have with their parents, if you will, with the people that they live with. So imagine the scenario, you're walking into the veterinary clinic where maybe that pet parent has previously had a poor experience. You're walking in, the parrot may not feel well, there may be an issue, and that's why you're there in the first place. And then just like that, a person that the parrot has never met before is taking the parrot away from that pet parent who that parrot may have lived with for decades and is going in the back. Is that a good idea? So I, I think that that's a, unfortunately a question that has to be answered with some nuance because there are certain circumstances where, um, you know, having the pet owner stay with the parrot is absolutely the best choice. And the times that I see that being most helpful is when there is a strong history of positive reinforcement training with the owner. And um, that can sometimes be really, really beneficial and valuable. Um, in other cases, sometimes um, you can see some transferred fear and anxiety from the owner to the, the parrot. And so um, there are certain circumstances where they will do better separated from the owner. Um, but in general, you know, our, our, our ideal situation would be for owners to see every single aspect of exams um, and be involved in it so that they can also learn from what we're doing in the veterinary hospital um, and help implement those changes and strategies at home. Um, COVID's kind of thrown a lot of those things for a loop. Um, our practice, like many veterinary practices, I'm sure are, are, is still practicing curbside medicine right now, which has created a whole nother set of challenges that we're working on and, and through. Um, but there, there is no one size fits all um, best case scenario for every pet uh, parrot and their owner. Um, so there's lots of different um, scenarios that we have to take on a step on a case by case basis. Um, and we always just try to do what's best for the individual. Talk about if you can, Barbara, distance and how that can be a functional reinforcer and how that can be used to calm behavior. I know that's a crazy one. A lot of people aren't familiar with this, but when you think about some of the things that happen in a veterinary clinic is a lot of times we're exposing animals to things that maybe they haven't seen before that might be a little scary to the bird. So maybe they've never seen a stethoscope and bringing that closer to the bird might be something that the bird finds a little uncomfortable, a little scary. So instead of just coming up close to the bird, the bird may try to move away from that. So the bird's telling you it wants some distance. So how are you gonna get that closer to the bird? So a good strategy is to actually use distance as a reinforcer. I know that doesn't sound like it's gonna help you get closer, but the way that we can do that is instead of going all the way up to the bird, you come a little bit closer to the bird, but 
wait for the bird to, you don't get close enough so that the bird tries to move away. You get close enough that the bird is showing relaxed and comfortable behavior, and then you move the stethoscope away. And then on the next repetition, you get a little bit closer. And again, as the bird is calm and relaxed, you move that away. And what happens is you're going to be able to get closer and closer and closer, and eventually you get close enough to the bird that you might be able to touch the bird with that. You can also pair this with something that the bird likes, like maybe a little head scratch or maybe a food item. But the idea is that you're reinforcing calm body language by removing this thing that the animal might have shown a fear response to. And so we're actually using distance as a reinforcer. And you can do this if the person is the thing that the bird is showing a fear response to. It might be nail clippers. So really anything that the animal has shown a fear response to or maybe aggressive behavior to because it wants that thing to go away, we're going to use distance as the reinforcer to help build some calm behaviors. We're going to reinforce those calm behaviors by removing that aversive stimulus. So, Dr. McLaughlin, uh, I, can I tell you a little secret and you won't tell anyone? Go for it. Okay. So, on these podcasts and in interviews in general, I often ask questions that, in truth, I know the answers to. Here, I have no idea what the answer is. So, here's what I know the answer to. For dogs and cats, the best thing to do, oftentimes, is to use a pharmaceutical before they visit the veterinarian to tone down fear, anxiety, and stress. Certainly behavior modification, necessary. But you can't do that if the animal is terrified in the first place. Maybe even having a panic attack, literally, in the case of a cat, for example, when the carrier comes out. I don't know about pet birds. Are there times when we should pre-medicate? You know, this is a great question, and you're you're asking a question that's pushing the limits of what we know research-wise right now. So there haven't been any good pharmaceuticals developed for use in birds for, for managing this specifically. Um, I have used uh, gabapentin as a, a pre-medication for some parrots, but it really is a little bit hit and miss on what dose works for each species. Cause you have to remember, we're also dealing with a very different scenario. We don't have breeds of birds. We have species of birds. Some of these species likely have completely different metabolic pathways and methods of, uh, or dosages that are appropriate for them. And so we're, we're really working out of, um, a lack of knowledge and we need to do more research on this so that we can really know what is actually effective and appropriate. Um, in an ideal world, I'd love for us to be able to pre-medicate these parrots before they get to the vet hospital. But one of the un unfortunate challenges that we're still facing is that for, for many pet owners, they're not able to easily medicate their birds without, um, you know, without some prior knowledge and training. And so if we have someone who's already learned how to do that, it's a great option to try to help with that. But if you try to have a pet owner who hasn't ever medicated their parrot before try to administer medications, it actually could make the situation a lot worse for some individuals. So there's a, again, this is one of those questions. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of individualistic um, measures that need to be examined before you say this is best. Um, but we do utilize sedation quite a bit in veterinary, in our veterinary hospital to try to minimize the stress that our patients feel. And um, both midazolam and butorphanol can be used um, either um, individually or in combination, individually in the case of midazolam or in combination. 
Um, if there's a painful aspect of whatever we're, we're engaging in with the bird, if there's a, a procedure that might cause a little bit of discomfort, um, and we can use those medications to really completely change the experience the, the bird has at the veterinary clinic. And these can be administered intranasally, um, which for some birds is, is less stressful than an injection. Um, although birds really handle injections quite well, um, surprisingly well in some cases. Um, so there's a lot of different variations in um, both the, the treatment options that we have available for this um, in the clinic. And what we really need to expand on is getting more information about what we can do to prevent that ramp up anxiety, anxiety and fear that we often find them already having experienced before they make it to the veterinary clinic. And I really think even more so than medicating is just training and teaching parrot owners how they can get their birds to a point where um, a trip in the car is not scary and going into a carrier is actually fun. That leads me perfectly into what I'm about to ask Barbara. So thank you very much for that, Dr. McLaughlin, because, all right, it is now, Barbara, your world. You are queen of the world. You are in charge of everything. I have a little kitten now. So here's what I said a little kitten. I guess it would be difficult to have a big kitten. But nevertheless, you know what I mean. We have a kitten. And oh my gosh, it's so much fun. I haven't had a kitten in so many years. But I'll tell you, I'm and I'm showing videos about how to do this. Why not? I'm taking out what's called a pill gun, and I'm putting tuna in there. And we'll eventually put some other things in there, salmon or, or uh, I don't know, uh, maybe peanut butter, some other things that the cat will like. And teaching the cat when the pill gun comes out, something good is going to happen. Because I know possibly five or six or 10 years from now, I will need to pill this cat. Now, I also want to be able to pill the cat the old-fashioned way. Just take a pill and do that. So I'm going to practice doing that with something like a pill. Clipping nails. I'm associating at a very early age this kitten with the nail clippers. And in fact, this morning, Clip the nails, but boy, this kitten got a lot of tuna as a result of me doing that. Again, trying to create a positive association. In a perfect world, tomorrow, if I get a pet parrot, what should I be doing? And, you know, this podcast is not necessarily for pet parents. It's for veterinary professionals. But as Dr. McLaughlin just alluded to, here is an opportunity to teach pet parents what they could be doing the moment they get a pet parrot. What would that be, Barbara? Well, I think a lot of these behaviors you're mentioning right there with the kitten are ones that people would love to train their parrots to do as well. And they're really not as difficult as you would imagine. And especially the one about taking medication. Although we're typically not giving parrots pills, we do often train them to take fluid from a syringe because a lot of the medications that parrots take can be put in flavored suspensions so that they're not so unpleasant to, to uh, take in the mouth. And it's not so hard to take, uh, train parrots to take fluid from a syringe. And sometimes veterinary practitioners are training parrots that are in the clinics to do this themselves. Um, so it's, it's certainly something we would love to see that the companion parrot owners do as well. 
A lot of behaviors start with targeting, which is just teaching a parrot to orient their beak towards something. We use that to teach parrots to move without having to touch them or pick them up. And that's easily transferred to the tip of a syringe. And um, of course, our course that um, Dr. McLaughlin and I and some other authors created has the steps and some video clips on how to train that. But that's a behavior that we absolutely love and you can train parrots to do often quite quickly. We also love the behavior of teaching parrots to get on a scale, which again is something that owners can train and also practitioners can train in-house, which gives us data that helps us monitor the health of the animal over the lifetime of the animal. We, when we see changes in weights that can also often give us information on the health of the animal because birds are great at masking illness. So we love to have that, that um, weight information. And then of course, as Dr. McLaughlin um, mentioned, going into some sort of travel container is really helpful. When an animal is comfortable with that, it makes it more likely that you can bring your bird even to the veterinarian for a, you know, a fun visit just to get used to being at the veterinary clinic so that your bird isn't showing up only when there's a problem. And that makes it more likely that your bird is going to be comfortable and relaxed when it's when it is an emergency or when that time to visit the veterinarian maybe for something more critical than just to have a health check. And again, another behavior that's really significant is being comfortable wrapped in a towel, gently wrapped in a towel. And a lot of parrots do respond to this as sort of a play, interactive, fun behavior that you can do with your um, with your pet parent, so to speak. And this can be a really fun, engaging way to interact with your parrot. And, and nail trimming can be a, a nice one to practice as well. Sometimes it's a little more challenging for some people to do. Um, I will say that my one of my own companion parrots, a blue-throated macaw, she loves interacting in the towel. She'll roll over on her back, and that's actually when we do nail trims. She even uh, mimics the sound of the nail clippers clipping her nails. It's pretty fun for her. So I just keep this as part of, you know, some people look at this as maybe a, a, a cooperating in medical care behavior, but it's actually fun and interactive for me and my companion animals. And in the long run, it's really important for her health care, but it's also a fun way to build a relationship with your animals. So you don't necessarily have to look at it as a chore. It's actually really fun as well as all those other fun behaviors that you do with your animals. So I highly encourage people to do it. But again, even as a veterinary professional, these are things that you can also learn and practice within your practice as you're working with your patients. Really well described. And uh, should people, okay, they're carrier training their parrot. Should they do practice runs? Now, you said go in for happy visits. Should we periodically, you know, listen, this is a species that they see what we see. So as long as they're seeing good things, should they be, so don't take them to the zoo to see uh, tigers and lions or animals that eat parrots. That would not be a good idea. But if you're taking them around town, should you give a parrot an architecture tour, give them some treats along the way, and then when you come back, give them some more treats so they associate the car ride as well as the carrier with something good? Yeah, I do think um, the car ride is a good idea. Um, I Obviously, the, the zoo is probably not no, a good no, idea. No, no, no. No, it's not. But, uh, and also, you know, uh, you also have to be 
careful about certain safety issues, um, bringing your birds certain places. And sometimes, you know, we do have restrictions due to uh, recently there was some health, uh, avian flu crisis things no, going no, on. No, 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 just the car, but just the car. Just the car, yeah, I would agree. But I think I would also like to pass it to Dr. McLaughlin um, to speak on, um, on the visit to the veterinarian about having some fun visits to the veterinarian. So maybe she can comment on that experience and what that might be for, like for your bird. Yeah, and the only other thing I'll add to that whole concept of taking birds and having fun fun trips outdoors is it really matters if the bird is flighted or not. So we have a whole different dimension that we have to think about for parrots that is not in the dog and cat playbooks. So um, we at my clinic, we do not recommend uh, wing clipping as a general rule. Um, we have enough research to know that birds that are able to fly um, have significant improvements in their ability to have choices and their interactions. And it's also great exercise for them. So we do encourage birds to be able to fly, um, but it is a safety issue. And so if people have not done a lot of training either, um, you know, for free flight type scenarios or which, which have their own sets of really intense risks um, or for having their parrots on a harness or in an enclosure that is enclosed, but they can still see around, you know, there's just a lot of other things that we have to think about whenever we move parrots around. And part of that is socialization too. Um, a bird that has never, um, you know, been trained or raised as a flighted bird may have some really significant challenges being placed in certain scenarios. Or if you're trying to suddenly socialize your 40 year old Amazon parrot that's never left the house, you have to think about all of that and how you approach it in a baby step for that bird that, that doesn't cause intense fear and stress may be so subtle that the owner would look at that and be like, well, we didn't do anything, but for that parrot, it might be huge. You know, we yeah. walked to the front door. Wow. That was we different. We've never done that before. So um, I think birds are really sensitive and that's one of the big things that people miss a lot of times is um, one of my, one of my favorite stories is um, I had a African gray who came into my clinic and was showing some really significant, normally a very, very well socialized African gray, but was showing some really intense um, nervous behaviors. And we were trying to figure out what was bothering the bird because it had been in our clinic multiple times and it never behaved that way. And we finally figured out that there was a picture on the wall that had a snake on it. And the bird was actually seemed to be reacting to that picture because we took it down off the wall and turned it around to where the bird couldn't see it. We had to get on line of sight to the bird to figure out what it was looking at. And when we took the picture down and turned it around, the bird relaxed. And so um, they can react to like little shadows on the floor. Um, they can react to bugs. <laughs> they can react to things that we may look at and say that doesn't seem like a big deal at all. And it can be a really, really scary event for that particular bird that's been, um, that has all of these, you know, these instincts that say, if something's above you, it's dangerous. And so um, there's a, there's just a lot of different things to think about. And whenever we're shaping happy veterinary visits, those are all things that we have to consider too. It's not a good idea to just put together a happy veterinary visit without considering all of these other factors. Because again, even if your goal is to have a happy experience, the bird could still be flooded by the time it gets to the clinic. If you don't take all of that into consideration and take the individual bird's experience into consideration. So there's a lot more that has to be done with these guys compared to your average dog and cat. And by flooded, you mean just overwhelmed with sort of negative stimulus that does the opposite of what you intend 
to have happen. And you mentioned safety. It's not only safety for the animal, Dr. McLaughlin, but safety for the staff as well. I mean, here you have a living can opener. And yes, there are concerns about dogs and cats, but I suppose at least you're adjusted to those concerns. Is being fear-free also mean that not only it's safer for the animal, but safer for your staff? It certainly can be. I think one of the things that's most helpful about um, fear-free training for staff is that I think it changes how people view birds and it makes us all be a lot more considerate of body language. Um, Because with birds, if you're going to get bit, it's usually because you ignored that the bird was telling you that you were going to get bit. And, um, you know, there's, there's different areas of injury that can occur with birds. It depends on the individual species. Um, but I think anyone approaching a bird from a considerate standpoint of what is going to make this animal more comfortable and what is going to be the safest for both me and for this animal is really, really vital. And ultimately, um, I think moving away from putting the bird in a situation where it feels trapped is going to reduce your, your injuries significantly. Um, and I think the other big issue with this is if you're going to be doing a procedure on a bird, really utilizing conscious sedation um, in a more effective manner is, is huge. Just because I think for a very long time, you know, we've, we, I've seen people who use what are called um, bird boards where they are just strapping birds down to a a board and taking x-rays of them. And that bird has no concept of why it's being pinned down in place. It's a, it's a very scary experience for that bird potentially. And, um, you know, a lot of these types of things were done with force or with, with full anesthesia, which carries its own set of risks. And there's a better way. And the conscious sedation can make a huge difference in how these birds recover from veterinary procedures and whether or not they're getting new fear memories created, which I think is really crucial for a lot of these birds that have very long lifespans. Excellent. Well, we could go on talking for many more minutes, but we're out of minutes. I want to thank you both very much for joining me. Uh, Dr. Alicia McLaughlin and Barbara Heidenreich, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access new toolbox items, and find out all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon or flew into this podcast, you can learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. I'm Steve Dale.